Welcome to the Chosen People Radio Program, a production of Chosen People Ministries. On this program, you'll hear inspiring stories, learn about messianic apologetics, and discover God's plan for Israel and you. Now let's welcome our hosts, Mitch Glazer, President of Chosen People Ministries, and Robert Walter, our New York Regional Director. Shalom again. This is Mitch Glazer, President of Chosen People Ministries, and I'm so glad that you've joined us for our radio program. It's going to be a delight to share with you some of the great truths of the Old Testament. We've been focusing on the five books of Moses, and uh, we've been learning a whole lot. And uh, this won't be any different today as we once again look at one of the great festivals of Israel. And uh, it's one that uh, we're going to be observing both as Jews and Christians. In fact, it's the only festival that Jews and Christians celebrate. So, Bobby, tell us more. Yes, yes. Thank you, Mitch. And uh, shalom to you and shalom and to everyone who's out there listening. Uh, We're very grateful that you're joining us. And uh, as Mitch said, this is a a special holiday episode where we're talking about Pentecost, or in the Hebrew, it's called Shavuot. Shavuot, it just literally means weeks. Uh, And we'll see why this holiday is called weeks in a moment. Um, But we're going to take a look in Leviticus 23. And I know we've mentioned this before, but Leviticus 23 is really such an important chapter in the Bible uh, because it includes God's calendar. Uh, We have all of these um, appointed times of God, all of these holidays laid out for us uh, in this chapter. And what I love about Leviticus 23 and all of these holidays is that, uh, well, first, they're split up into two, two different seasons, basically. We have the spring feasts and the fall feasts. Uh, but there was, you know, sort of like a, a, a here and now significance for them, for Israel, when, uh, when God gave these holidays to Israel, and even to this day. And uh, many of them were, were agricultural. So they, they showed like the, the relationship between the people and the land because these different feasts would include, you know, different harvests of crops and things like that, you know, stuff that Mitch and I have absolutely no idea about because we live in New York, right? Uh, um, we, Brooklyn. Brooklyn. Brooklyn, Bobby. Yes. Brooklyn. It's a, it's a part of New It's a very special part of New York. It so. is. It is. Okay. It's its own country, you know? It is. Now, Mitch... When we look uh, in the New Testament, that very same year that Yeshua, Jesus, became our Passover on Passover, that Yeshua became the first fruits of the resurrection on first fruits, we also see that something major took place on this holiday, on Shavuot. So can you tell us more about what that was? I will, but you know, Bobby, there's a lot of uh, traditions. Uh, when it comes to uh, Shavuot as well, that Jewish people uh, celebrate. But I'm going to do something a little bit differently. If you don't mind, Bobby, I'm going to uh, go to Acts chapter 2 to talk about that first post-Jesus resurrection Shavuot. And so let me read. When the day of Pentecost, or Shavuot, Penta from the Latin and the Greek for 50, uh, Shavuot meaning weeks or sevens, So it's that 50th day. So when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. Now, remember, they were counting a a weight of wheat called the Omer. Mm -hmm. So when the day of Shavuot had come, they were all together in one place. Who were they? The Jewish believers. The gospel hadn't gone to the Gentiles yet. And so these were Jewish believers who grew up with Jewish traditions and understood these traditions. 
They understood the Passover, understood why Jesus was the fulfillment of the Passover. They understood uh, the Feast of First Fruits, and they understood Shavuot. And suddenly, there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them, in, in verse 3, uh, cloven tongues as a fire. And they rested on each one of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. Now, to understand the Jewish uh, backgrounds of this, we have to understand a few things. We don't have time now, but if you read Exodus 19, verses 18 through 19, you will see some of the signs and wonders that took place at Mount Sinai at the giving of the Torah, right. at the giving of the law. The second tradition is that every soul that would ever be created, who would be part of the Jewish people, was was there at creation. In other words, uh, all the souls that would ever live existed at the point of the creation of the heavens and the earth. Where they are stored, the rabbis do not tell us, but the soul was created before the body, which is why it's very important, actually, for our listeners to understand. It's why Jewish traditional Jewish people are so against abortion because Jewish people absolutely believe that you became a living person at conception. Why is that? Because it was at that point that the pre-existent soul was joined to this new, uh, very, very young body. And so Jewish people believe that person is a living soul because the soul that was created earlier was now matched with uh, the body. And so we now make our way over to Acts chapter 2 again. The disciples, we must presume, understood this tradition. They knew about it, and they associated it, of course, with Shavuot and the giving of the Torah, the five books of Moses. And so there appeared to them tongues as of fire, distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them. So again, fire, smoke, signs. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. And so we don't know exactly what those tongues were, but we get a hint in verse 5. There were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. When the sound occurred, the crowd came together and were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and said, Aren't those all speaking Galileans? And how is it that we each hear them in our own language to which we were born? And then the languages are all listed. So without a doubt, the Jewish people that were gathered in that upper room and began speaking uh, various languages from all across the globe where Jewish people have been scattered, the diaspora, when those around them heard those languages, they were amazed because everybody was Jewish. In fact, they were all there for the festival because there were three great festivals when Jewish people needed to come up to Jerusalem. Passover, Shavuot, Pentecost, and Tabernacles. So the environs of Jerusalem swelled with Jewish people from all across the globe who were there for the holiday, and many of them who were still there actually heard the gospel the good news, this new Torah being preached in their own languages. So you have signs and wonders. You have the Jewish tradition about hearing the Torah in different languages, uh, all happening at the same time. And so this was the great 
uh, Pentecostal miracle. Now, I love Peter's response to it. You know, Peter was an evangelist, just like me. And so when Peter heard the discussion, he just raised his voice and said, they're not drunk, it's only the third hour. But what is spoken by the prophet Joel about the last days, this is what's happening now. And so Peter gave the interpretation that the giving of the gospel was a last days event, that the last days had actually already begun. Now, the last days have lasted a long time. We might be in the last part of the last days now, but the last days began with the resurrection of Jesus, the giving of the Holy Spirit, which not only rested upon but indwelled the disciples, and these signs and wonders authenticated from Jewish tradition, authenticated that what was happening was from God and had equal weight to the Sinai experience. You talk about apologetics. That was powerful. Yeah, that, that's profound, especially for a Jewish audience, the Jewish audience that would have been there in Acts chapter 2 in Jerusalem at that time from, well, again, like you said, from all over the world. Uh, uh, but to, have, to be able to witness, you know, the, these signs and wonders, uh, yeah, it definitely would have brought to mind Sinai. Uh, but now what we're seeing take place is that it's like God is writing the Torah not on tablets of stone, but on hearts of flesh. Uh, because there's this internal transformation that takes place in the lives of the apostles and ultimately in the lives of uh, 3,000 people, you know, toward the right. end of Acts chapter 2, which, you know, uh, is sort of another connection uh, back to Sinai. At the end of Acts chapter 2 and verse 41, it says, So then those who had received his word were baptized, and that day there were added about 3,000 souls. Well, if we go back to Sinai in Exodus 32, verse 28, uh, we see that we have the incident of the golden calf, uh, which takes place at Sinai. It's just a horrible, it's a blight on, on Israel's record. You know, it's really, really a bad thing. Uh, but what happened is that when Moses came down and he saw what happened, uh, the sons of Levi, the sons of Levi, got up and did as Moses instructed. And in Exodus 32, 28, it says about 3,000 men of the people fell that day. So at Sinai, 3,000 perished because of disobedience. Uh, but here in Acts chapter 2, 3,000 were born again to new life. It's almost like a, a restoration of what was lost. That's a great idea. Your Jewish friends will not be offended by that, but will actually find it absolutely fascinating. One of our generous and faithful supporters recently asked, Mitch, what are your priorities for 2022? And I thought that was a great question. The answer is simple. We plan to go back to basics in 2022, focusing on evangelism, discipleship, and training. We're so excited by the ministry possibilities in 2022. This year, we are prioritizing in-person, I say in-person, evangelism of Jewish people with the strategy to win Jewish believers, disciple and train them, and help them serve the Lord. We're also looking to reach young secular Israelis for, for the Lord. And we're planning to use various media, in-person engagements, and to share the love of Jesus with them any way we can. So we hope you will prayerfully consider supporting us this year. 
Your gifts will provide for our various ministries, the development of materials, and the production of our training programs. We are so thankful for your prayers and generous support. So God bless you and thank you for partnering with Chosen People Ministries as we share the gospel with Jewish people all across the globe. Welcome back. You're listening to The Chosen People. And right now we're going to turn our attention to John Desser, a man whose world was turned upside down when he began hearing his heroes in politics and the music world talk about Jesus. My grandfather on my mother's side was Mordecai Ben-Ami and participated in the first Zionist Congress in Basel, Switzerland, along with Theodor Herzl. My grandfather moved his family to uh, Canada, to Montreal, and at the age of 14, my father turned to his father and said, I don't want to be part of the family business. I'm not interested in money. I'm moving to New York City to study at a yeshiva. When he finished his studies, uh, my father uh, thought about what he wanted to do next, and he decided to become a physician. Later, when he was doing his residency, he was asked to give a blood transfusion to a Gentile on Shabbat. And while he knew this wasn't right under the law, it felt right in his heart. And so he went ahead and did it. But he immediately knew that he had violated the halakha, the rules of the rabbis at the time. So he went back to New York City and met with his rabbis there and asked them if he had done the right thing. And they said no. He walked out of the yeshiva, bought a ham sandwich, and was never going to look back. Because if the law isn't true, then God's not true. And my father's heart was broken. My mother and father met in Israel and were married there and moved to New York City, and that's where I was born. We were raised in a very secular Jewish home. Knowing that we were Jewish, but never going to synagogue, not celebrating Shabbat or any of the holy days. In fact, we had a Christmas tree growing up because my father wanted us to be Americans. After college, I decided to move to Washington, D.C. to get involved in politics. And I was hired on the staff of a freshman senator that no one had ever heard of named John McCain. While I was serving on Senator McCain's staff, I was invited by another staff member to a breakfast. Then all of a sudden it got quiet. And one of the men, he pulled out a little book and he began to read from it. And as he was reading, the thought crossed my mind, is that the Bible? Is he reading the Bible in front of all these people? Is this a Bible study? So when one of the young men turned to me after introducing himself and asked, what church do you go to? I looked at him very sternly and I said, I don't. I was invited to attend the National Prayer Breakfast. And when I did, something profound happened. My two loves in life, my two passions, were politics and classical music. My hero in politics was Secretary of State James Baker. He got up in front of 3,000 people and said, it's pretty neat being Secretary of State to the wealthiest nation in the world. And it's pretty neat being Chief of Staff to the most powerful man in the world. And it's pretty neat being Secretary of State to the most influential country in the world. But the thing that's really 
getting me up in the morning these days and I'm excited about is Jesus. Did he just say Jesus? Why would James Baker talk about Jesus as something that's interesting to him? One of my heroes in music was Mislav Rostropovich. He was considered the greatest cellist of all time. He was Yo-Yo Ma before Yo-Yo Ma was Yo-Yo Ma. Rostropovich gets up and says basically the same thing as James Baker. It's pretty neat being the most famous cellist in the world, but the thing that really is interesting to me right now is Jesus. I thought, him too? Rostropovich? Maybe he's even Jewish. Why would he be talking about Jesus? Over time, I became convinced of one thing. This Jesus question was not going away. I decided the best thing to do would be to jump into it right now. So I thought a good place to start would be in the Bible. And I began on my own to start reading through the Bible for the first time ever in my life. I started in Genesis, and I read a chapter every day. I made it all the way through the Tanakh, and then I came to the book of Matthew. And I read through the genealogy of Matthew. And then I got to the Sermon on the Mount. And that's when it all came crashing in. That's our Messiah. That's my Messiah. I don't know what all these Christians are doing following him, but that's my Messiah. The enemy clearly doesn't want Jews to know who their own Messiah is. And so he overwhelms us with thoughts of betrayal and turning your back on people who were killed in the Holocaust or killed during the Spanish Inquisition. And I felt overwhelmed with these thoughts and fears as well. My great uncle had passed away by then, but his eldest son, Moshe, pulled me aside and wanted to speak with me privately. He said, John, when we met your wife, we knew immediately that she was a very deep spiritual person. She was familiar with the scriptures. There was just something about her that we knew was good. But there's one thing we can't understand. You've been married for seven years. Why has she not converted to Judaism? Because for him, that's the only way to be in a right relationship with God. And I said, Moshe, there is a reason why she hasn't converted to Judaism. My father knows what it is. He's a little bit embarrassed about it. But if you really want to know, I'll tell you why she hasn't converted. He said, please tell me. I said, Moshe, my wife and I believe that that Messiah has actually been here once already. And a famous rabbi who came to that same conclusion once said, if you believe in the blood of this Messiah, then you automatically become in a right relationship with the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so there was no need to convert. She's already in a right relationship with the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I didn't know how he would respond. Was he gonna turn the table over, or tear his clothes, or shout at me and say, Get out of here, don't ever come back. Instead, he started to daven, and he was pulling on his beard and thinking, and I assume praying, and then he looked at me, and in Hebrew he said, 
which means maybe so. If Israel is central to God's plan for the future, and they're still His chosen people, what do we make of the constant turmoil in the Middle East? Well, that's the topic Dr. Charles Dyer addresses in his book, What Does the Bible Say About the Future? 30 Questions on Bible Prophecy, Israel, and the End Times. And we'd love to send you a free copy just for connecting with us today. God didn't give us prophecy and details about the future to simply satisfy our intellectual curiosity. There's something there that He wants us to know. So, learn more about God's plan for Israel, the end of days, and you when you connect with us online at chosenpeople.com radio. Once again, that's chosenpeople.com radio. You're listening to The Chosen People, which is produced and sponsored by Chosen People Ministries. Thank you so much for joining us today. And if you'd like to learn more about this weekly program, or if you're curious to discover the deep and rich Jewish history of your faith, then let me encourage you to stop by our website, You'll find us online at chosenpeople.com slash radio. And when you reach out today, be sure to ask for our latest resource, which is a great book by Dr. Charlie Dyer, uh, who uh, has a regular radio program on prophecy with Moody Radio and uh, is a Dallas Seminary graduate and uh, very, very knowledgeable on, on prophecy. I'm sure you'll enjoy Charlie's book on what does the Bible say about the future, He is a rare expert on end-time prophecy, very sober, very balanced, and very biblical. And we'll send it to you for free as our way of saying thanks for connecting with us. Just call 888-2-YESHUA, that's Y-E-S-H-U-A, the Hebrew name for Jesus. That number again is 888-293-7482, or request a copy when you visit us at chosenpeople.com slash Radio. You can also request the book, What the Bible Says About the Future, by writing to us at Chosen People Ministries, 241 East 51st Street, New York, New York, 10022. And now let's wrap up today's program with the ironic benediction. Isa Adonai Ponavelecha Vyasem Lecha Shalom. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord lift his countenance upon you and be gracious to you. May the face of the Lord shine upon you and give you peace. Beshem Shel Yeshua Hamashiach. Sar Shalom, in the name of Jesus the Messiah, the Prince of Peace.